Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Well, last time, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I started a new series, and I've called it Eternal Perspectives. And the bottom line of this series and where we're coming from in this series is that when we gain God's perspective, when we gain a bird's eye view, that's why the eagle is referenced so often in Scripture because the eagle has 20-20 vision. And when the eagle soars to great heights, it can see further and go further than, than uh, anyone else. And in the same way, is that we are so often strangled and limited in our efforts for Jesus when we lose sight of the goal of eternity. When we lose an eternal perspective, then we, we start living loosely in our time here on earth. And uh, last time I was with you, just to recap and very quick recap, Jesus told an incredible parable in Luke 19 about Servants that were given 10 minutes that represent time, talent, and treasure. This is your life. You've been called, you've been given an opportunity called time. Time has boundaries. Time is finite. You have been given a certain amount. Today you have time because you're here and you're breathing. Can you say amen this morning? You're here and you're breathing. So you have been given an opportunity. No man knows the day or the hour. Many have thought they've had a lot longer to live and suddenly the Bible says that our life is like a vapour of air and it's gone. And, uh, and so Jesus gave these talents. He gave the time, He gave the treasure and this is what He said. He said, do business till I come back. Do business till I come back. And I'm going to return and I'm going to check on what you've gained with what I've given to you. Loss didn't even occur in his mind. Having the same amount wasn't even a, a caption in God's thinking. He said, I'm coming back to see what you've gained. And of course, the first had doubled from 10 and he gained, he gained all up another 10, 20. The second one gained an extra five. He had 15. And the last one came and he was addressed by the Lord and he said to him, you wicked servant, because he bought it in a handkerchief. He couldn't even be bothered putting it in the bank to gain interest. And it's because his theology of God was wrong. He said, I thought you were austere, an austere man. That word austere means harsh, severe. He had no concept of Papa. He had no concept of the love of the Father. And as a result, he lived his whole life wrong. And what he had was taken from him and given to the one who had gained 10. What a lesson in our lives. And then when the reward came, the first one that had 10, I, he, the nobleman said, I will put you in charge of 10 cities in eternity. I'll put you in charge, the one who gained five more of five cities. Friends, and I guess the bottom line of this is that, is that many will be disappointed when they come to that day of standing before the judgment seat of Christ to realize they wasted the time and the opportunity that God had given to them here on earth because they were too earthbound 
and they didn't realize that they had business to do for the kingdom of God. And I gave you an illustration, if I could just grab Pastor Phil's help here. All right. The white of this rope, the white of this rope represents eternity. This red zone represents the 70 years that God has promised to us. Some of us get less, some of us get more. But in light of eternity, eternity is a long time, friends. Eternity is forever and ever. And God says, how you live in the red zone here on earth is going to determine how you're going to live in eternity. Friends, eternity isn't about sitting on cloud nine with your heart playing for a gazillion years. Eternity is actually, we're going to find that I believe, this is what I believe according to Scripture, that some will be given extra responsibility because of what they gained, how they lived in the red zone. And they'll be vice regents and they'll be co-rulers with Christ and they'll have much greater access and intimacy to the Lord than others will. And that's clear from Scripture if you look at the passage in 1 Corinthians 3 where those who built gold, silver and precious stones received great reward but others suffered loss of reward because they only had wood, hay and straw. And when the fire of God's presence came in the judgment seat, it was all burned up and all that was left was ashes. Their salvation was secure. They made it to heaven. But the Bible says they suffered loss of reward. Friends, I want to remind you this morning, this is a very short period of time compared to this. There's a lot at stake on how we're living for God now. And we do it with His grace. We do it with what happened this morning in church. We do it with the Father's love. We walk in relationship with Him. But I want to address something this morning that I believe is on the heart of God to help us gain a much stronger eternal perspective. So thanks, Phil. You can reel that in. Good fisherman, salesman, that you, uh, sailor man that you are. That's awesome. So let's just pray. Um, <clears throat> let's just pray and ask the Lord this morning. Father, we thank you today that, Lord, so often we're limited by what we see through our own filter. And this morning I pray that you would put a divine implant of the filter of heaven so that we can see things the way you see things. Lord, transplant into our hearts the kingdom of heaven, that we would gain heaven's perspective to help us live in light of eternity to realize that when we have an eternal perspective, it will change the way we live our lives here in the present. We're asking this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, there was a movie made. I think it was uh, Michael Douglas, 1987. It was actually a thriller. And it was about a man who had a fatal attraction. And that fatal attraction caused him to be sexually attracted to a woman and he ended up having a one-night stand with her. The only problem was is that she became so infatuated with him that she began to stalk him and his family and it became a life or death situation. And the moral of the movie was is that that fatal attraction cost that man so much in his life through that one wrong connection with the world 
that one fatal attraction that he had cost him everything. And I want to talk to you today about a fatal attraction that God has a lot to say about through Scripture. And we're going to take you into the Word of God this morning to examine how God sees what I'm about to talk to you about because He lays it out very clearly that there's also a fatal attraction that He warns believers about and it's called loving this world. And that when we don't separate ourselves from the world and its worldly system, fatal attractions will grab you and they will render you powerless and impotent for the kingdom of heaven. They blind you to an eternal perspective because when we love the world, we become infatuated with the temporary realm instead of living our lives for eternity. Can you say amen this morning? So I think Papa's been softening you up for what you're about to receive. For what we're about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful this morning. (laughs) Now our opening scripture this morning is from the Apostle John. This is the Apostle whom the Bible says Jesus loved much and whom loved Jesus much. This is the Apostle who leant on the chest of Jesus This is the apostle, the same apostle whom when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was the only apostle that was present in the crowd at Christ's crucifixion. And Jesus in his dying breath looked down and said to his mother, mother, this is your son, son, this is your mother. And from that day forward, John the apostle looked after Mary, the mother of Christ. He was an apostle who loved God with everything. And he's the same apostle in 1 John 2 verse 8 that says, look out for yourselves. Another translation says, watch yourselves that you don't lose the reward that you have gained. Because some people say, well, I'm not motivated by rewards. I just want to love God. Well, if the greatest apostle of love was mindful about rewards, I want to tell you, we need to be mindful about rewards. And he suggested in that verse 8 that it's possible to lose the reward on what you have gained in your life with Christ. And we're going to find out how that happens this morning. So 1 John was written to an audience of Christians. It was written to the church, not to the unsaved. This was a message to the church. So let's hear heaven's perspective. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So our first question today needs to be, what is the world? What does this phrase mean? If we're not supposed to love the world, what is the world? This comes from the Greek word cosmos, which represents, I guess, planet Earth, the cosmos, the universe, but it's talking about the, the place that earth has in the cosmos. And when you bring it across to the spiritual world, it's talking about the world system as run by Satan with the exclusion of God in every area. It's the same root that we get the word cosmetic from. We all know what cosmetics are all about, don't we? When a woman uses cosmetics, she's known to be putting on her face. And this is a good illustration of what this word actually means because what the world wants to do, it wants to dress you up in its image. 
That's what the world wants to do. And make no mistake, friends, the world that we live in is controlled by Satan and his minions. Look at this verse, 1 John 5 verse 19, same author. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of who? Who? Who's the wicked one? Satan, the devil. So John makes it very, very clear the world we live in is under the sway, the control and the operation of Satan himself and he delegates out demon spirits in the world to control people in the world and he controls people in the world by getting them to love the worldly system. That's why he says, do not love the world. And the reason why, friends, God doesn't want you to love the world is because his arch enemy runs it. You think about that just for a minute. It's operated by the devil. The devil hates God, and believe it or not, the devil hates you as well. There's not one ounce of warmth or love toward you or any human being because the way the devil gets back at God is by destroying his children. And so he may deceive you for a period of time in the world when you're enjoying his worldly system and all that has to offer you, but in the process, as you take the bait of deception in your life, you are on the road to ruin. Believe you me this morning. And so this pre-planned system is designed to draw you out of the will of God and to leave you without God in your life. That's the whole aim of this system. And that's what we call worldliness. Worldliness is a system that's designed to disconnect you from the will of God in your life. It's, if it is Satan's job, not only for you to be in the world, but for you to fall in love with the world today. And so he goes on, Jesus said this. He said, we're called to live in the world. John 17, 15, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. He's praying to daddy, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So in other words, what Christ was saying, it's possible for believers to live in this worldly system. We're in the world, but we're not of the world when Christ comes into our life. And Jesus said, I'm not gonna pray that they're raptured out. He said, I'm gonna pray that they're gonna live in the world, but they're not gonna come under the control of the evil one. Can I hear an amen this morning? So God hasn't called you to be a monk or a monkette and to go and live your life in some monastery that's isolated so you can keep yourself pure from the world. No, He's called you to live in the world and He wants to equip you how to combat worldliness in your life so that you do not fall in love with the world and its system, so that you can be free from the power of the world and you can be that shining light that God has called you to be in this worldly system today. So God expects us to live in the world without loving the world. And the sad thing is, is that when we make a decision to love the world, we've chosen the world over God. And our choices reflect who our real daddy is. And believe you me, it can be very, very deceptive where we think we're following God, but if we're involved in serving the world and its system, our real daddy is not the father. Who? Put that in your spiritual pipe and smoke on that this morning. 
The goal of the evil one is for you and I to fall in love with the world and all of its entrapments and all of its systems to have a fatal attraction, a connection that will take you down as a Christian. Romans 12 says this, verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Do you see the connection there, friends? If you're serving the world, you can't discern the good and perfect will of God. If the world has got its hooks in your life, you'll be walking around confused as a Christian saying, what is the will of God? I can't hear the voice of the Lord. And we're gonna discover in just a moment the reason why you can't hear the voice and why so many Christians, even in, in, in much spiritual religious activity, they're still vacant and they can't hear what God is saying to them because the world system has got them. And as a result, they're not serving their father, but they're serving another father the God of this world. You know, some time ago, probably in my childhood, it was a lot easier to serve God. Do you know why? Because there was an understanding in the foundations of our nation of the Ten Commandments and there was a respect and there was an acknowledgement that there was a God, although many people didn't follow Him. God wasn't a dirty word or a swear word. But friends, the culture we live in today has no respect for God. And there's nothing off limits anymore. You know, you see all these award ceremonies on TV? And one minute they're saying, I just want to thank Jesus Christ, my Lord and Saviour. And the next minute they're profaning His name. It's such a mixed up world that we live in. And so... Why is it such a big deal for you not to fall in love with the world? Because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He says there's a cost to you loving the world. And here's what the cost is, as you lose intimacy with your heavenly Father. If anyone, from pulpit to pew, from prime minister to prisoner, if anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father can't be in him. Intimacy can't be gained in your life. And some of us wonder why the heavens are sounding like brass. Because friends, we have, been, we have been entrapped. We've had some fatal attractions in our life. And as a result, we can't get close to the Father because we're loving the world. Can you see that church this morning? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. No exceptions, if anyone. So what does that mean? That means simply this. You can retain your legal relationship that Jesus won on the cross for you. You will be saved. But if you have an ongoing love affair with the world, you cannot have intimacy with God and you will struggle to get victory in your Christian life because you have no power, there's no intimacy, there's no relationship with Jesus Christ. So you can keep your legal relationship through Christ to the Father, but you will lose your experiential relationship with God, intimacy with Him. Wow, that's so powerful this morning. 
So the, to love the world will cost you experiencing God's presence and will keep His love from operating in your life. That's why I just love our church so much when, when we have a moment when we sense the Lord is here. Look how you responded this morning. That just makes, a, that makes me as a pastor, that makes my heart so glad to see you just responding and wanting the Father's touch within your life. A response of people that God is building today. You see, the Word says that God has delivered us from the world through what Jesus did. So why would you want to go back to something that Jesus has delivered you from? Look at this verse, Galatians 1, 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We all want grace. We all want peace. God's given that to you in Christ. But listen to this. Who gave Himself for our sins, but not just for our sins. What does the rest of the verse say? That He might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, our Father. So not only has His grace come to forgive you for your sins to be washed away, but gee, what Jesus accomplished on the cross was to deliver you from the power of this present evil age. That's the world, friends. Wow. So God didn't save us for us to continue a fatal attraction with the world. He wants to set you free from that. He doesn't want you to even touch your foot around some of those places that you've been tiptoeing in because it will cost you intimacy with your Father today. It's a little bit like this illustration. Loving the world is like loving the ring more than the bridegroom. Loving that flash of the ring, but forgetting the one who gave the ring to you in the first place. The sparkle of the world and forgetting what Jesus has done for you and what He's accomplished for you. The Apostle James is even more blunt with how he addresses this. Look at this, James 4.4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow, that is what I call blunt preaching this morning. If you want to carry on loving the world, then you've got a new enemy and it's not Satan, it's God Himself. If you're going to follow the world, fall in love with the world and be, have fatal attractions that you don't deal with in the world, then you are going to be fighting against God Himself in your life. Whoever loves the world is an enemy of God this morning. <laughs> Well, Lord, you're on fire with this word this morning. <laughs> you know, 2 Timothy 4 verses 9 and 10 is an example of how this plays out in a Christian's life. Listen to this. He says that he's addressing his co-workers. He's saying, be diligent to come to me quickly. Why? For Demas has forsaken me. Demas was his co-worker. Demas was the one who was standing next to Paul. He was his supporter. He was his traveling companion. He was his associate minister. 
And he says, I need you to come and help me. Why? Because my co-worker has forsaken me having loved this present world. Uh-oh. And has departed for Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus for Dalmatia. Paul saying, I'm all on my own. My bros have left me. Why have they left me? Because they loved this present world. You know, I'm continually amazed over nearly 30 years now of being a pastor. I've got my 30th anniversary coming up next year, married 30 years. I'm the only sibling on both sides of my family whose marriage has lasted. Every single sibling has got, their marriage has gone crashing to the wall. In my father's downline and my mother's downline and the generation above me, every single marriage went to the divorce courts. My wife and I are the only ones that have managed to stay married. And I want to tell you that's by no no uh, brownie points of my own. I want to tell you that right now. It's by the grace and the love of God that we have managed to do that. But, but my, my, my point is this, is that so many marriages go to the wall because there's not a forsaking of the love of this world. And they want to hold on to the world and they want to have a good marriage at the same time as a Christian. It just doesn't work. It can't work because you become an enemy of God when you love the world. And so therefore your marriage is going to be under tremendous strain when you have two people, it's the North and the South Pole that's going on inside that marriage today. So why, do we, why are we battling so much with worldliness today in the church? Because it's, it's everywhere. And right now in, in the Eastern world, and, and, and Asia and Central Asia and parts of Africa and South America right now, the church is exploding. You know, every day they estimate 20,000 Chinese people are coming to know Jesus. There's revival happening all around the world in the non-civilized Western world. But in the Western world, friends, the church is going in reverse. It's going backwards. Why is it going backwards? Because we want the world to like us. So we're trying to adopt worldly methods to reach the world and it will never work. We need the love and the power and the demonstration of God's Spirit within our life. But if we love the world, we've got no intimacy with the Father and we can't demonstrate that love to people. There's a blockage here. Friends, Jesus made it very, 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 very clear. Look at this next Scripture in uh, John 15. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. This is Jesus the Master talking. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There it is in red letters today my friends, and red letter, red letter is the words of Jesus in your Bible. There it is, plain for everybody to see. He, he said, don't make the mistake of wanting the world to like you as a Christian. You need to understand that once you become a Christian, like night and day, 
like black and white. There is a separation that will come within your life. Don't try to be liked by the world. I mean, don't go and rile the world. Don't go to work and be an idiot and be a weirdo and just be one of those Christians that everybody loves to hate because you've actually heaped persecution and you've got it on yourself just for being an idiot. You don't want to be one of those Christians. You want to be an ambassador for Jesus. But I want to tell you that not everybody is going to like you if you're walking that walk of Christ. So Jesus says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. It hated me before it hated you. We're so desirous of the world to accept us. And so we end up desiring the world and we end up being rejected by God because we want the world to accept us. A simple illustration is that in your car, you have two radio frequencies, AM and FM. Hello. Can you listen to them at the same time? No, you can't, because they're completely two separate frequencies, AM and FM. And you can't be an FM Christian on Sunday and then be an AM Christian from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday. Friends, it doesn't work. You're either on one frequency or the other. You can't mix those frequencies within your life today. So he goes on to say in 1 John chapter 2, three reasons why you shouldn't choose the world over your love for God. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, and here he goes, here's three things. Three categories that underpin how the world system works. Number one, the lust of the flesh. Number two, the lust of the eyes. And number two, the pride of life. Listen to what he says. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So number one, what's the lust of the flesh? The word lust means to crave or to desire something. And so the lust of the flesh is craving for pleasure of your flesh outside the will of God. That's what lust of the flesh is. You want to satisfy your fleshly cravings, but in doing so, you are putting yourself outside the will of God. Can I hear an amen this morning? And so you can crave for something that is obviously wrong in itself, or you can actually end up craving for something that's not necessarily wrong, but you've placed it in an illegitimate place in your life. In and of itself, it's not wrong. Let me give you an example. Food. Who loves eating? Amen. I love eating. I love, this is why I love living in Auckland. We get to taste the cosmopolitan flavours of the whole world in this city. It's an amazing place, the different cuisine, especially if it's been prepared right, right? <laughs> Amen. And so we can do that. But you see, is eating a, a legitimate thing? You need it for survival, right? So if you need it for survival, it's nice to eat tasty, nice, flavoured food. But where it becomes illegitimate, friends, is when you just keep eating and eating and eating, that is now called the sin of gluttony. And gluttony is evil. I'm not trying to be stupid this morning. I'm not trying to get on anybody's case this morning. Because one thing's for sure, it's probably the worst sin amongst Christians in the world. 
is the sin of gluttony. We can look down our noses and judge the drug addicts and, dr- and, and, and judge the sexually immoral when we're, when we're full of the sin of gluttony. So what's another example of something that's not illegitimate in itself? Well, for example, let's, let's tackle this one, wine. Wine. The Bible's very, very clear that wine in and of itself is not illegitimate, that Christians can have a glass of wine. All right, just read the Scriptures. Where it becomes an illegitimate worldly practice is when you have two, three, four, five, and all of a sudden you ain't in charge anymore, and you have crossed the line And you are not going to pass that white line test that that traffic officer is going to get you to walk down. And what's happened? You've made something that's been legitimately given by God into an illegitimate sin, and it's turned into drunkenness, and you've fallen prey to the world in your life. Sex. Sex. Seen as such a dirty word by Christians, but it's the most wonderful, awesome thing that God has given as a gift to creation. If it is given and practiced within the boundaries which God said it should be, which is between one man and one woman. Not one, not two men, not two women. Friends have to clarify that these days because people are trying to change the Bible. Believe it or not, people, there's churches around the world that are trying to change the Bible that are, that are gay churches to make acceptable for them to come. Now, I've got nothing. I've actually got a lot of gay friends. Some of them are family. And I've had to work through this whole issue of learning how to love the homosexual instead of being homophobic and that whole thing. But the point of what I'm saying here is, is that is sex a good thing? You bet it is. But when it's practiced outside the realms and boundaries that God has given to it, it becomes immoral and then becomes evil. And when a man and a woman have sexual relations, the Bible says the two become one flesh. So there's not just a swapping of body fluids, excuse my frankness, but there's a swapping of spirituality that takes place between those two. I saw this years ago in my family where I had a stepsister who was very disturbed psychiatrically and she'd been trying to kill herself many times by cutting up her arm and she'd go right down to the bone. She wouldn't be satisfied unless she saw the spurt of blood. A young guy fell in love with her and then they started sleeping together and within three months he was cutting himself just like she was. He had no previous problems, no previously mental health issues and all of a sudden, you know why? Because there was an exchange that took place in the sexual act and it became immoral and illegitimate and friends, if the fastest way to destroy your relationship is start mucking around sexually with people when you're a Christian. So, Satan is very good at helping us to fall in love with the pleasure of the lust of the flesh. So we begin to desire it and fall in love with it and we lose the intimacy of daddy. Second thing, the lust of the eyes. It's the illegitimate craving for things that you lay your eyes on. Stuff, things, materialism. Many people today are drowning in debt. 
Because you saw it, you just have to have it. And the whole world is geared towards the lust of the eyes. All the advertising and stuff, friends, stuff that's just, oh, it's just completely off limits. Nothing's, nothing's off limits anymore. What you see on television, even 10 years ago would have been taboo, but now there's nothing off limits. But the point of what I'm saying is, is that we see it on television, we think, I've got to have that. And in fact, you've already got it, but it's, it's faded a little bit, and it's now been updated, and, and, and you've got a new model coming out, and they're telling you you have to upgrade to the new model. Many Christians can't even honour the Lord with their finances because Mr. Visa and Mr. MasterCard gets first shot at it. Why? Because they had to have it. So Mr. Visa and Mr. MasterCard got first shot. I'm not here to put anyone down today. If the word fits, then let it sit on you today because the whole aim of what I'm preaching on today is that we will gain an eternal perspective and not be trapped by the lusts of the world. Friends, is it wrong to own nice things? It certainly is not wrong to own nice things. But when you love those things and they have a higher priority in your life than your love for God, then it's out of order and you've fallen prey to the lust of the eyes. The last one, the pride of life. What's the pride of life? The pride of life is the, is the illegitimate pursuit of position. I've got to be the man. I've got to be the woman. I've got to be the top dog. I've got to get up the rung of the ladder. It's dog eat dog world. And as a Christian, if I want to make it to the top, then I'm going to have to make a few compromises to get there. There'll be some small white lies. There'll be a little bit of deception going on here and there. But that's the way you've got to make it in the world. If you want to get that position, you've got to do it. Let me tell you, friends, I've been there. When I was working in the world, there were so many times where I could have got promotion, but because I stood by my guns, they said, I'm sorry, we can't promote you. We hook up with people to try and advance our position in the world when they have opposite values and morals, morals to you, but we use them in order to advance our cause for position. This is not how God works, friends. Sometimes we can find ourselves working insane hours just to get more money to feed that, that pride of life, to get that position that we want at the expense of our families. And we end up becoming, uh, the desires that we have to advance in this world, they become independent of the Lord. And we're just pumping our own treadmill here. It's all under our own fuel to try and make it to get to where we want to be. And so we let our pride, remember this is the pride of life. What's pride? Pride is being unwilling to submit to the leadership of God over your life. That's what pride is. The devil wouldn't submit. God had to cast him out of heaven. And that's how pride works. It wants position and it wants power. All right? And so if we look at this, this is exactly what happened in Matthew 4 when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Remember that? Jesus is fasting 40 days. The devil comes to him and he says, Jesus, you must be hungry. See these stones? Why don't you use your supernatural power and turn them into bread? See that? Lust of the flesh. He says, Jesus, why don't I take you to the top of this mountain and to the top of this temple and why don't you throw yourself off it to prove that you're the Son of God? 
Lust of the eyes, want to see everybody see what I can do. And the, and the last temptation that he had, he takes them up over the, all the world and he shows them all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And this is what he says. Jesus, if you'll just bow down to me, then I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. That's the pride of life. I'll give you position, I'll give you power, but you must first bow down to me. So friends, as I'm coming to a close this morning, understand this. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says this, just so that you know I'm not trying to be a killjoy here. All right? I'm spelling out to you the fatal attraction of the world and all of its systems who is ruled over and run by Satan himself, which means everything in his system at the bottom of it is deceptive and tainted with evil. That's the worldly system. And so 1 Timothy 6, 17 says this, command those who are rich in this present age, not to, who's rich here? Who would like to be rich here? <laughs> Why do you want to be rich? <laughs> that's, the, that's the answer that we need to find because that's the key to it all. Who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty. What does that mean? Don't be proud. But listen to this, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but to trust in the living God. Amen. That's why Jesus said it's so hard for a rich person to get saved. It's harder than going through the eye of a needle, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. What he was saying is because rich people trust in their money, it's hard to get them to trust in God. He's saying, so if you're a Christian and you're rich, don't trust in your bank account, but trust in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he says this, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He's not a miser. He's not purposely holding back from you, from all those things that are given to us to richly enjoy. But he says this, verse 18, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, there we go, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may, listen to this, lay hold on eternal life. Wow, there's the connection. Living in the world, being wealthy, but not allowing your riches to dictate your life to be magnetically attracted to the world because you've been prepared to give, to share, to put your wealth in the right perspective, to give, to honour the Lord with what He's given to you. And He says, as a result of that, you're laying hold of eternal life. You've gained an eternal perspective. You're not just living for the here and the now, for the temporary world, but you're laying hold of eternal life. And the final exhortation for us today is what Apostle John finishes with in this last verse. So we've gone 15, 16, and 17 of 1 John 2. You can mark them up in your Bible. Let me just swap devices. I've just run out of battery. I knew I had to have a backup this morning. So we're up to 1 John, last verse in this whole uh, chapter here is the relationship that we have with the world. What is the final exhortation as to why 
We don't want to hold on to the world because verse 17 says, and the world is passing away. Friends, everything you see is not going to be around for eternity. This world we live in is temporal. It's not a lasting world. It's all going to fade. It's all going to pass away. It's passing away and the lust of it's going to pass away. In eternity, there will no longer be a lust for things. It's going to pass away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Why shouldn't we love the world? Because this world is not the real world. This world that we live in today is the temporal world and it's fading away. Don't love it because it's not going to be around forever. It will lose its shine. It will lose its luster. You know, we, 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 we get a new car. I traded my car in last week because it was 12 years old and I was having some problems in the, in the diff. So I traded into a 2013. Right now, you can go in the car park and see it. It's black and it's shiny. And you know what I'll do? You know what I'll do? I'll try and keep it shiny probably for about six weeks. And then you'll see it in the car park at church and you'll be thinking, I'm going to write on pastor's car, help me, please clean me. You know why, friends? Because the shine goes off everything in this world. Eventually, it all fades. It all loses its shininess. It all is. You remember at Christmas time as kids? In my house, we were so excited to open some presents on Christmas Day. Maybe you weren't as fortunate as we were to have some presents. But we were there and we were up at the crack of dawn. Actually, we were up before dawn knocking on our parents' door to wake up and come out for present time. And we'd have those presents and we'd rip that wrapping paper off and we'd see these toys and we'd be playing with all these toys and we'd get jealous because one of our siblings got something that we want and we'd get all jealous. How come they got that and I didn't get that? We have all this stuff that's going on. But you know what? We get so excited and two weeks later, your, your friends come over with their kids. They come over to play and they say, where's that, where's that toy that you got? At Christmas time, oh, that's broken. Where's that other toy? I don't know. I, I can't find it anymore. I, I'm bored. I'm bored. Two weeks later, friends, because the reality is even you see in the life of a child that the shine of the world for things only lasts for a very temporal time. And John says this world is temporary. It's passing away, friends. And it's not just kids. What about clothes? What about fashion? It's all under the worldly system. We see the latest fashion roll out in the shops. And we just think, I just have to get that. I'll look so massive and awesome in that. I'm just going to shine like a star in that. And you buy that. And you go Mr. Visa, Mr. MasterCard. And you get that new, those new clothes. And guess what? You wear them twice. And then you see something else that's even more recent. And you go and say, I need that. Am I telling the truth this morning, friends? <laughs> so I guess I could wrap it up with one thing. Don't be trapped into loving the wrong world. Don't be trapped into loving the wrong world. How many of you have been fishing before? Most of us in New Zealand have been out on the wharf or out on a boat what becomes obvious, friends, is then when you pull that fish in, 
and it comes out of the water, it's flipping and flopping around and its gills are opening and closing, it's pumping and jumping and around. And one thing that becomes obvious is that that thing was not designed to be out of the water. All right? How come it got out of the water? It got out of the water because you deceived it. You baited your hook to make it smell delicious, to make it look pleasurable to that fish's eyes. They say to catch a fish, you've got to think like a fish. <laughs> and you pulled that fish in and you got that fish out of water. And when that fish was out of water, you know that fish is not designed to, designed to live in the world above water. Now in the same way, friends, that's exactly how the devil works. You weren't designed for this world system, but the devil has baited his hooks around your life and he'll be dropping a line over your head very, very shortly, sometime this week, to attract you towards the pleasures of this world. And you've got to not take the bait because if you take the bait, you're going to find yourself flopping and flipping and jumping around feeling like you're completely out of place because you're not supposed to be in that place. Could we all stand together this morning?